Welcome, everyone. This is Leading with Empathy and Allyship, a live event and podcast series. I'm your host, Melinda Brianna Epler, the founder and CEO of Change Catalyst. I'm a writer, an advocate, and change maker focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion. In this series, we go deep and get real. We speak with a wide range of experts to learn how to be a better ally and advocate for each other. You'll come away with a deeper understanding and some tangible, actionable steps you can take to create positive change in the workplace and throughout your life. We have additional learning resources for this episode on our website. There you can also find an accessible transcript and video with ASL interpretation, as well as live captions for people who are deaf and hard of hearing. All right, let's get started. Uh, so today we are talking with Dr. Adia Gooden, clinical psychologist about imposter syndrome, how we can support ourselves and each other to overcome it. So welcome, Dr. Adia. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, I'm excited for you to be here too. So jumping in, I have really struggled with imposter syndrome off and on over the years. Even now, with all the many things I've accomplished over the years and all my decades of experience at this point, I still have feelings that I'm not enough, that I am still faking it until I make it. And that is imposter syndrome. There's a study out there on, at the Journal of Behavioral Science is showing that 70% of us experience imposter syndrome at one point or another. Even Einstein called himself an involuntary swindler. So if you feel that feeling of being that involuntary swindler, that's likely imposter syndrome. I've been working on it a lot over the years and um, we, can, we can talk a little bit about some of the things I have done. One of which is I happened on a course at Insight Timer, which is a meditation app I've been using for years. And that course was by Dr. Adia. So I looked her up and I asked her here today. So <laughs> really appreciate you joining us to talk about this. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here. I think, you know, I'm really committed to talking about imposter syndrome and helping people overcome imposter syndrome because I think it holds so many of us back, right? We have so much to give to the world. And when we feel in, like imposters, we often want to try to fly under the radar, right? We want to sort of be against the wall. And maybe if nobody notices us, then they won't notice that we're imposters or they won't notice that we don't belong here. And so, you know, when we're freed from imposter syndrome, that sort of allows us to step fully into our jobs or our relationships or our communities and share our gifts fully and freely. And so I think it's such an important conversation. And, you know, my own experience being a clinical psychologist doing therapy with people and um, doing workshops on imposter syndrome has shown me that, yeah, you know, 70% of people really do struggle with this. It is, it is incredibly common. Um, and it's something that I think we can uh, work to overcome. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. And I'm seeing some comments in the chat already from folks who are interested if there are certain groups impacted by imposter syndrome, some more than others, which I think we will talk about. And then, you know, finding out what's holding us back. So can we start actually by, you know, you just saying a bit about your story and how you ended up doing what you're doing? What brought you to this point? Sure. So um, I'm originally from Southern California, Pasadena, California specifically. And I always went, for those of you who are not viewing, I am a Black woman. I'm an African-American woman. And I am also straight and cis. And I was able to go to some really great schools growing up. And they were private schools and they were predominantly white schools. And that sort of set the stage for me to have an experience of commonly being one of the only 
uh, black women, black girls in the classroom, um, and sometimes one of the only black people in the classroom. And I was very aware of that, right, from an early age. I was aware of being treated differently, less in academic spaces, but socially, you know, sort of being left out and, and not feeling totally included or told I was too loud or whatever it was. And that was sort of what set the stage for me. And I generally had positive experiences, but I was aware of, you know, my blackness. And, you know, when I went to, when I was applying to, to college, you know, people said behind my back that I only got into the school I attended because I was black, right? So there were these whispers and these rumors, right, that would sort of come out very subtly. And I would say I've always been interested in people and how to help people and why people do the things they do. And so I'm really grateful that I had parents who are clinical psychologists and so I, I knew, despite people's rumblings or whisperings about what schools I should or shouldn't get into, I knew I had a model for possibility, right? The possibility of getting a doctorate or the possibility of going far in my career, not only because of my parents, but they're the community that, you know, we were immersed in. Um, and so that was huge for me. And that's a privilege that many people don't have. And I think especially people from underrepresented groups or people who come from more low income backgrounds, right? To see people um, in the spaces and the careers that you want. And I think some of that can set the stage for imposter syndrome, right? Is if you don't see other people who look like you in the spaces you want to be a part of, are you, do you belong, right? Or will you be an imposter there? And so I'm thankful that I, that I had the privileges that I had, and I'm really passionate about helping to make sure that other people who may not have had those similar experiences can still feel like they belong, because I truly believe that we all have gifts to share. And so I did my doctorate in clinical psychology and community psychology, which sort of looks at the context, right? And how our systems and communities function and how that affects us as individuals. And I also worked at a top university in the country in their counseling center. So I was working with their students. And that's when I really started to think about and talk about imposter syndrome because it was so prevalent. And I focused on students from underrepresented groups and could see how the feeling like you did, they didn't belong, the direct and indirect messages that they weren't, you know, they didn't have anything co to contribute, the anxiety, the feeling like you have to be a representative, how all of those things combine to really cause people to feel like imposters. And that's when I first started to talk about it and think about how to help people address it. So let's, let's dive into that a little bit. There's so many ways that people are impacted by discrimination, by systemic inequities, racism, sexism, ableism, bigotry, you know, from, from stereotype threat and even covering pieces of our identity, code switching, physical and mental health issues, both, and, and imposter syndrome. This is something you've talked about quite a bit and you just talked about a little bit. Can you elaborate on that? Can you talk about how imposter syndrome is linked to discrimination? So, you know, with discrimination, there are sometimes subtle, sometimes not so subtle messages that you are not okay because you belong to a particular group, because you're in a particular body, because you're a particular age, race, ethnicity, you know, gender, sexual identity, right? Whatever it is, right? The message is you are not okay, right? And sometimes those messages are subtle, like, Oh, 
like, I didn't realize you were from, or I didn't realize you were black, right? Like a, a little surprise of like, how could someone be so articulate and be black? And sometimes it's, you know, frankly, uh, a lack of charges against somebody who murdered a black woman, right? Like explicit, right? So there are lots of ways in which mm. people are, it's communicated that if you don't fit into this straight, cis, white, upper class, sometimes Christian sort of mode and male usually that you are not okay. And it is so easy to internalize those messages, mm-hmm. right? That's, that's, that's almost where the most heartbreaking piece of it is, right? That starting from a young age, kids start to internalize that and think, well, I must not be okay because I'm in this body, right? Or I'm from this group, right? And so if you have that message, then you're more likely to feel like you are not okay. Like you don't have something to bring, like you shouldn't be in whatever space, right? So I I mentioned briefly, you know, classmates of mine saying, I only got into, I went to Stanford for undergrad. I only got into Stanford because I was black. And if I had internalized that, I would have started at Stanford thinking, ooh, I better fly under the radar here because they only let me in because I'm black. I don't really deserve a spot. But that's the narrative. That's our narrative around diversity. Oftentimes in this kind of, well, we'll let you in uh, because I guess it looks good for us. We're supposed to, and we'll gift you this opportunity, right? Like that's the narrative, right? So we have that layer, right? That contributes, if it's internalized, contributes to imposter Mm -hmm. syndrome. And then you reference stereotype threat, which is, the, the phenomenon of the stress that you experience when you worry that you're going to be negatively stereotyped based on, you know, judgments of your group, when that stress interferes with your performance, right? So a classic example is high achieving women doing more poorly on a math exam when they are primed to think about their gender, which is linked to a stereotype about women not being good at math. So if you are experiencing stereotype threat and you are underperforming because you're worried about being stereotyped and judged, then that can feed into the sense of I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not doing very well. I'm not, I'm not succeeding as much. I'm more exhausted. I'm more tired. What's wrong with me? Maybe I shouldn't have this job. Right? So that's another way that, that, you know, discrimination on so many different levels can influence our sense of being imposters. Yeah, and I, I, the term you used, internalized discrimination, I think is so important. You know, when we hear this over and over again, when we experience it over and over again, if we're told that we're not good enough, so many times in our lives, we can start to believe it. It's just an added layer, an added barrier that people who are underrepresented, people who are discriminated against have to face. And so let's talk about solution. Mm-hmm. How do we work on this in ourselves. Let's start there first, and then we can talk about how we can help other people, people around us. Um, how, how do we recognize it and how do we support people as well? But let's talk first about how do we re- recognize this in ourselves and then work to overcome it? Yeah, that's a great question. So I'll share a few things. There's, there's, a lo- there's a number of strategies, but that would take our whole time and maybe more. So I'll share a few things that I think are most helpful. You know, one is just even acknowledging that you are experiencing imposter syndrome. And so I think it's useful to know that imposter Mm -hmm. syndrome can manifest as feeling like a fake or a fraud. It can manifest as 
you know, overworking, working yourself to the bone to prove that you belong because you feel like, I mean, I only got in because of this. So I got to prove. So I'm never going to rest. It can also look like procrastination, right? It feels overwhelming, right? To even start, it feels overwhelming and vulnerable to produce mm. something that then may be critiqued or judged, right? And may show, see, I am a fraud, right? Right. Right. Imposter syndrome also makes it hard for us to learn because it's hard to ask questions because we fear that the question is going to expose us. Right. So we sort of hide and think, oh, my gosh, you know, I don't really know how to do this. I don't know what you, know, you should probably shouldn't know how to do it yet, but you don't know how to do it. You feel like it's not OK that you don't know. And then you don't ask and then you can't learn. Right. So it sort of hinders our growth and development. So that's the first thing to sort of just recognize how does imposter syndrome show up for you and where does it show up for you? Because sometimes people will have imposter syndrome in one area of their life and in another area, they don't experience it at all. So just thinking like, when, when is this coming up for me is a helpful start. Um, another thing I recommend is really countering this narrative and idea that you don't belong where you are by acknowledging your accomplishments and acknowledging all the work that you've done to get yourself to where you are. Yeah. Often when we feel like imposters, we blame our successes on luck. I just got lucky. Oh, they just happened to write me a good recommendation. Oh, you know, I just happened to do a good job, whatever. Right. But we sort of brush aside the accomplishments and, and we don't own them. Right. And it's okay to say, I worked with a team. I had people help me. I had mentors. That's great. And I'm guessing you put in some work, yeah. right? I'm guessing you did something to get yourself to where you were, you are. And that's so important to acknowledge. And it doesn't make you arrogant, right? You're not walking around saying, I'm the best at this. I'm better than everybody. You're just saying, I feel really proud of myself. I worked hard. I asked for help when I need it. And I accomplished this. Right. And to allow yourself to acknowledge that and then to share that with other people and celebrate with allow other people to celebrate with you and to celebrate yourself for those accomplishments. You know, can we just take a moment and really ask ourselves that question? Like, what have you accomplished? What are what is something that you accomplished recently? You know, if you're listening on the podcast, just take a moment and really think about that. If you're that's big. Take a moment if you're here with us now and just say what you have accomplished recently. Yeah. And I'll just, I will just add that often people feel uncomfortable with doing this. And I think it's such a great exercise, right? To do it, even if you feel uncomfortable, to try to acknowledge your accomplishment and share it without downplaying mm -hmm. it. And we often connect to people through complaining. And I think we would all be a little happier if we connected to people through celebration. So notice how it feels to see other people's accomplishments. You're pro I'm excited, right? Like, mm -hmm. so allow other people to feel joy with you. Right. And when we hold that back and only complain or only say, oh, I didn't deserve it. You know, it just creates a different dynamic versus if you say, I'm so excited, I'm so proud of this. And then somebody else says, yeah, you're, that's amazing. And wow, maybe I could do that too. Or you're inspiring me to do this or that in my own life. And it just creates this really positive energy that can be built. Upon. Yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm seeing some of the accomplishments that people are sharing in the chat. It's awesome. And I also want to point out, Francisca talks about being a single mom and a career woman working virtually and aiding with virtual learning 
for her daughter. And that is an incredible accomplishment in 2020. So don't feel like you have to do the world. Uh, you know, this is a big accomplishment in 2020. It's important to recognize that those accomplishments in our lives. Mm -hmm. I totally agree. Yeah, it's whatever you feel proud of. It could be personal, it could be professional, but taking a moment to pause and slow down and say, wow, like I have been doing this or I did that. It just, it helps not only because it feels good, but it also helps because the next time you face a challenge and imposter syndrome gets rearing, rolling and says, you can't do this. Mm -hmm. I don't know why you thought you could do it, right? You then have something to look back on and say, well, you know what? Last time I faced a challenge, I moved through it this way. I asked for help. I did this. I persevered. I broke things down. And so then you have evidence that you have done challenging things before and you can do it again. If you dismiss your accomplishments, you have no evidence to counter that idea, that narrative that you cannot face what's in front of you now. And so it's also helpful for that as well. Yeah. Were you going to, I kind of cut you off to, to, to linger on this for a bit. Were you going to say a few other things or? Yeah, I could say a few other strategies. You know, since we were talking about this before um, related to discrimination, I think it's really useful to acknowledge the stress of discrimination in whatever form you may experience it and stereotype threat <laughs> and just acknowledge that it's exhausting and that is not your fault. Right. And yet that does not take it away. Right. We have work to do with changing systems. Right. And, you know, I know, Melinda, that's some of the work that you are committed to doing, which is amazing. And if we can acknowledge and depersonalize it. Right. If I can be very clear that if I'm in a space or even in the U.S., there's no problem with me being a black woman. The problem is that there's racism and sexism in the space. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I'm very clear on that distinction. It does not mean that it doesn't impact me. I, it does impact me. But I know that it's not because there is something wrong with me. I know that it's something wrong with the system and with society and with the environment. And so even creating that space is helpful to me because then I can take care of myself. I can not blame myself right? When something's exhausting, I, I'm not, oh, well, what's wrong with you? You should just, you know, get it together and get the energy, right? Like we so often push ourselves and push ourselves, right? But I can say, you know what? This was tiring today. This was painful today. This was exhausting today. So I'm going to claim my humanity and give myself more rest. I'm not going to say there's something wrong with you, idea that you're not just in there and, and so productive after this or that happened. Mm -hmm. So just acknowledging that, giving yourself grace and self-compassion, I think can be a really powerful way to both counter the discrimination that you experience and uh, counter the imposter syndrome. I will say my favorite strategy for overcoming imposter syndrome is acknowledging, identifying your unique strengths and gifts and how you want to bring them into whatever space is meaningful for you. I think imposter syndrome really prompts us to do a lot of comparing, right? Oh my gosh, they said this amazing thing. She had this great idea. He had that great question, whatever. And we sort of start feeling like in order to be successful or in order to belong, I have to be just like them. But the reality is that our teams, research teams, work teams, academic teams, communities are better off 
when there is diversity of thought, diversity of background, diversity of experience. So if we all try to be like someone else, that's at, we're missing out on what you can bring. And so a counter to comparing is thinking about what am I really strong at, right? Am I a great listener? Do I ask really challenging thought-provoking questions? Am I super organized? Am I a big picture thinker? Am I, you know, what is it that you want to bring? And how do you set the intention to bring that into the space and focus on that? Your mind may go, oh, I might not belong here. Oh, well, okay. What, how can I ask really good questions in this meeting today? How can I take a step back and help people see the bigger picture today? Right. And just Focusing on that intention instead of the fear of failure, the fear of being called out, et cetera, et cetera. And the other thing that helps with is that you don't have to be perfect to ask great questions and you don't have to be perfect to be really organized, right? You don't have to be perfect to do, to share any of these gifts. So it allows you more grace and, and room and hopefully lets up some of the pressure. So let's jump to the next level. So we're working on our own imposter syndrome if we have it and if we experience that. And there's something really important that allies can do, I think, to both recognize when it's coming up in other folks and, and then helping them get through it and move past it. And even if they have it, to help them kind of step into opportunity. Yeah, I think it's really a, an important question and point that you're bringing up. You know, the first thing I think is giving people concrete feedback about why you appreciate them, why, you know, you love their contributions to the team, etc. right? It's easier to brush aside, great job with that presentation, mm -hmm. right? It's, that's easy to sort of, ah, they're just saying that. It's much harder to say, the way that you organized and structured that presentation and the, the key points that you highlighted really made us think and really is moving us forward as a team. I so appreciate the thought and intention that you put into that presentation. Thank you. Mm. That's yeah. much harder for someone to be like, well, they're just saying that because they're being nice. <laughs> Right. It's much harder to brush off. Right. It's like, oh, wow. OK, so specific feedback. Right. Take the time to intentionally give people positive feedback and affirming feedback about what they contribute, how they contribute to the team, how you, you appreciate their presence. And sometimes it could be your presence in this meeting is so calming. I know you don't talk that much, but just your energy and attention helps us to feel like it's a safe space to have this conversation, right? So pointing out the things that someone is doing well, that you appreciate. Um, so I think that can be really helpful. Can I Creating a cult. Oh, I, I, I just yes. want to jump in and say um, something that I have, I've taken from film school. So uh, in film school, we did a, a lot of acting classes and one of the, the key and directing and one of the key things that they teach you teach directors about how to work with actors is that before you give negative or constructive quote unquote constructive criticism you give someone positive feedback what are they doing right because everybody is always doing something right and especially if you're feeling imposter syndrome especially if you're really putting yourself out there in a 
in a way that makes you feel uncomfortable. If you learn first, like what's something that I did right and make that concrete in their head and then give them some um, constructive feedback that can make a big difference in how somebody integrates that feedback moving forward. I think that's such great wisdom for, for everything, right? For our work, for our romantic relationships, for our familial relationships, right? You know, our brains as humans are sort of trained to look at the negative, to look at what's wrong. It keeps us safe, right? So we have to intentionally think about what's good here, what's right here. I think I was listening to a talk by, maybe it was like Richard Rohr, and he was like, even when someone's criticizing me, I think about there's probably 10% truth there. And so how can I find that, right? And so it doesn't mean you don't ever give constructive feedback, but creating a space, an environment where constructive feedback can be incorporated does involve making sure someone thinks, I can do this, right? If you if you just criticize, people will feel demoralized and they'll feel like, well, I can never do anything right. So they will give up. But if you say, you're doing these things wonderfully and these are the things I'd love for you to work on and I'll support you in working on them. And maybe even, I used to struggle with this. I used to do this, right? Normalizing the challenge and the struggle can be also very powerful because often people look at those higher ups or people who are successful and think they've always been perfect. They never had a struggle. And so if you can share your process, your struggle, your challenge with someone you're working with, that can also be really powerful in that process because it's, it says this, this growth edge doesn't mean it's not possible. I had the same one and that you're, you're on the path. It's okay to have this growth edge. Don't give up, right? You're not an imposter because you have this challenging area, right? So I, I think that's great. Yeah. And I, and I think that this all kind of pulls through in, in the workplace in both informal ways and also in more formal ways like performance reviews where it's important to give people feedback. And often there's, there's studies that show that people are less likely to give feedback to um, people from underrepresented groups, right? Uh, and, and that can affect somebody's career substantially. They don't know that there are things that they could be working on. If they don't know that, that there's growth opportunities that it can you know, keep you at the same level for a long time. So I think also thinking through what are, what are some of those more formal structures of feedback that you can incorporate this into. Yeah. I mean, that's so, I hadn't heard of that research, but it sort of makes me question two things. What, how much of the not giving feedback is because of an assumption that this person from under an underrepresented group can't learn, won't learn, really doesn't belong here. So what's the point of giving feedback and how much is stereotype threat in a different way, which is, I don't want to be seen as judging you based on race, class, ethnicity, ability, right? Like, and so I'm scared. And so I don't want to say the wrong thing. And uh, I give you feedback, right? And so all of those things, you know, are detrimental, right? To everyone involved. Um, so I, I agree that see, both seeking concrete feedback if you're experiencing imposter syndrome and then giving concrete feedback and in a collaborative way can be really powerful. Uh, the other thing I was going to say, actually, speaking of collaboration, is that helping your culture to be collaborative and not competitive, right? I think competitive cultures tend to have sort of a zero-sum game dynamic. You, I win, you lose. You win, I lose. You know, edging people out. Who's going to get the raise? Who's going to get the bonus, right? Yeah. And it's very hard to 
value everybody's unique strengths, to come together and give thoughtful feedback and constructive criticism and affirmations in a very hyper competitive environment. But the more the environment is around, how do we work together? How do we bring all of our unique gifts, talents, skills, backgrounds together and, and strengthen the whole organization because of that, the more that is the culture, the less likely somebody is going to feel like an imposter because the hyper competitive or environments that sort of expect assimilation, expect you to just act like everybody else in this culture, it promotes imposter syndrome because you feel like you cannot be yourself if that's not aligned with the predominant culture um, in the organization. Yeah, in the last episode, we talked with Danny Allen, and he, he spoke about really valuing difference and, and the importance of valuing our different experiences and that being a key piece of really ultimately building a culture of belonging, you know, where everybody feels like they belong in that culture. Yes, yeah, that is so true. I'm going to switch. Uh, if you all have questions, please share them in the Q&A function down at the bottom and we'll, we'll switch over to Q&A in a bit. There's so many wonderful messages in the chat. Could we talk a little bit more, Dr. Dia, about the, the different ways that we hold ourselves back or that people are held back by imposter syndrome? We kind of talked about, you talked about it a little bit, but I think we can go a little bit deeper into yeah. that. I will, um, I'll share this this way. So when I do workshops on imposter syndrome, I have a visioning exercise. And in that exercise, I ask people to imagine, uh, and this is an online course too, so it may be familiar to you. Um, I ask people to imagine what, day, what a day in their life would look like if they did not feel like imposters. And in the workshop, what I see as so powerful is when people share um, I would ask more questions. I would be more confident. I would share my ideas, right? And the best answer I ever got was I would walk into work like I was walking down a soul train line. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, that's the best, <laughs> that's right? Awesome. That's awesome. So good. Yeah. But I think that the image is free and bold and fully herself, mm -hmm. right? And so I just, you know, I think imposter syndrome holds us back from being our full selves, right? And that can look like not asking questions, not allowing ourselves to learn and grow and develop, not allowing ourselves to not know things because that's okay. It doesn't mean you're, you don't belong just because you don't know something, right? Um, not allowing ourselves to rest sometimes, right? This fear that if I don't work nonstop, I will be an imposter. And so this sort of overworking, missing out on time with friends and family because of it, you know, our health deteriorating because of that. Um, so perfectionism can be another sort of thing, right? Yeah. So feeling like the only way to prove that you're not an imposter is to do everything perfectly, mm -hmm. right? And not valuing the process, not valuing the mistakes, not valuing that there's so much to give, even if it's not perfect. And so all of those things are stressful and they can sort of weigh on us. I think one of the saddest things is when people sort of are really disconnected from their love of something that they used to love, right? A profession maybe because they feel like imposters, right? So I've had, you know, a physician tell me that, you know, he used to love being a physician, but the imposter syndrome has weighed so heavily that it's no longer joyful, 
right? So losing connection to what we really want to bring into the world and, and no longer loving it is another way that I think imposter syndrome holds us back. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that, that was a really powerful piece. I'm going back a little bit. Uh, that, that was a really powerful piece in your course about imagining that nobody is judging you. Imagine what, what could you could do if you didn't have those voices in your head, if you weren't thinking about um, people criticizing you or doing, you know, that, that those possible missteps before you even make those steps, you know, imagine what you could do um, if you stepped on that stage and were thinking and, you know, and all the people in the audience were just waiting for the, the amazing um, content that you're bringing them and, and nobody in the audience was criticizing you, which is usually the case. <laughs> Right. So what could you do if that were to be the case? And, and, you know, just kind of making yourself step out of that cycle of um, playing into the judgments before they even happen. And then, uh, you know, that that made me realize that, you know, just kind of thinking that through just now that perhaps we could help each other do that as well. Perhaps we could, you know, recognize that in each other, you know, what would happen if, you know, my colleague didn't have all of this discrimination, didn't have all the stereotype threat going through her head, didn't have, you know, the systemic injustices in the daily media news cycle right now, what could that colleague accomplish and how could I help that colleague get there? Yeah. Really powerful. It would be really powerful. And I think also thinking about that it would not only help the colleague, but it would help you too, right? It would not only, you know, I think that, you know, that's where I think the world, and I'm sure you communicate this in your, in your work, right? The world needs to understand that actually we will all be better off when everyone is able to be themselves and to be accepted, for being themselves, right? It's not just like, oh, well, I'll lose power, you'll get right. Like, it's not that, it's that we're all better off. And I and I like the idea of thinking about how do we support other people, right? How do we name and identify the strengths we see in other people, express our appreciation for other people, and, and really sort of both if you have the leverage, right, to change things in your system, if you notice, oh, these things might not be so comfortable. And, you know, if you're an ally and, and have not experienced discrimination, ask, right? Ask the people, right, who you want to be a great ally to. Have you ever experienced, you know, discrimination in this system? What, what are the ways in which this system makes it harder for you? And, and then listen to the answer without defense, right? That's, that's the other challenge, right? It's not to be like, but I didn't mean, or I didn't, right? Okay, right? To breathe and say, I hear you. Okay. I, it's going to take me a little while to process that, but I'm so grateful to know that this thing that I thought was benign is actually maybe somewhat hurtful. And, and I'm going to think about how do we sort of change and, and shift that. Um, and, and then creating an environment where the feedback, you won't, the person doesn't think they'll be punished for giving you the feedback. All of those things are little ways that, that we can start to shift systems and make the space uh, more welcoming to everyone. 
Yeah, yeah. No, we, we've talked uh, in different episodes about microaggressions, and, and I think that is an, another way in the workplace to really address imposter syndrome. If people are not hearing and experiencing microaggressions daily, they may be less likely to experience imposter syndrome. And then also there's, you know, systemic inequities in the workplace, like pay equity. If you're not being mm-hmm. paid as much as someone, how, what does that t- tell you about your own worth? You know, how, what does that tell us about our own worth or promotion right. equity? The same thing. If you're not being promoted at the same rate as somebody else, that, that can really make a big difference. And um, so there's these yeah. systemic things that we can do in our workplaces. Um, you know, microaggressions are interrupting it in ourselves and also interrupting it when we see it and, um, you know, stepping stepping up or taking action in whatever way that is appropriate in that situation. That can make a big difference. Yeah. And I was just going to say, part of it is being willing to be uncomfortable, right? That often the, the, the reason people don't step up is because it feels scary. And the reality is that it does take a little bit of risk to challenge a system or to call something out. And often people from underrepresented groups are in that role because they feel like they have no other choice and because it feels urgent and people from more privileged groups sort of Mm -hmm. sit by the sidelines and say, Oh, that's uncomfortable. I don't know how people will see me. And so part of it is how do you take that, take that step, right? Step out, right? Even though it may be uncomfortable and advocate and show up, or if someone from an underrepresented group steps out and says something, how do you back them up? Right? Often I'm stepping out in my job and I get a lot of DMS, right? Not a lot of public, public support, mm-hmm. right? But a lot of DMs, a lot of safe support, right? And the challenge is, how do you say, you know what, I really appreciate mm-hmm. what Adia said, I agree, right? That, that's a little way, right? To mm-hmm. show your support in a very real way and a way that, yeah, will make you uncomfortable, but is also creating safety and support for your colleague or your classmate. classmate. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's interesting. Usually at this point, we have about 10 questions in our Q&A and we don't have any. So I'm not sure if it's that you all don't. I know there's a lot of a lot of activity in the chat. So I just want to ask if you all have questions about imposter syndrome, if there's anything that we can address while we're here live to get over your imposter syndrome with asking questions. <laughs> oh, look, it works. <laughs> yeah. So if, if you have questions, um, now is the time to, to ask appreciate you all and appreciate all the, the comments in the chat and, and so much rich stuff there. Um, Saskia or Saskia um, asks, well, first says, Dr. Dia, you're amazing. Um, it, is it common that a fear of arrogance or a fear of criticism or fear of being Thank misunderstood uh, blocks freedom of imposter syndrome? Um, are these just excuses because we've become so used to living in imposter syndrome? Yes. So I actually do think that's common. I think people don't want to be seen as arrogant. They don't want to feel like, oh, if I don't feel like an imposter, either if I acknowledge an accomplishment or if I don't feel like an imposter, does that mean I'm like, just like, oh, everybody should, you know, look up to me and I'm the best. Right. And, and I think that, I think that is common. I also think related to that is a fear that if I don't feel like an imposter, I won't continue to grow, right? It's similar to the conversations I have with clients. If I don't criticize myself, then maybe I'll just lay on the couch and I won't do anything mm. in my life. And I'm scared of that. And so what I find is that 
acknowledging that you deserve to take up space in a place doesn't mean you're saying no one else does. An arrogance says, I deserve all the space, you deserve none of the space. But confidence or self-assuredness says, I deserve this space yeah. and you deserve that space. And, and we can all have our space, right? And so it's not about you know, edging someone else out, it's about claiming your space um, and owning that and, to, and trusting yourself. I think that's a big piece related to the self-criticism is can you trust yourself that you will do a great job without the criticism, yeah. right? Can you, can you mm. think of a time, and I, sometimes I like this teacher metaphor, would you prefer a teacher who was constantly criticizing, oh my gosh, you're so stupid, I can't believe you asked that question, I don't even know why you're in this class, duh, duh, duh. would you like that teacher? Would you like the teacher that says, welcome, I'm so glad you're here. Oh, you don't understand that? That's okay. I'm going to teach you how to do it. It, you know, sometimes it takes a while. It's okay that you didn't do as well. How can we help you learn and grow? I believe in your capacity to do this, right? Most of us would choose the second teacher. Mm. And the reason is because they create an environment for growth, learning, and development, not the critic, right? But we then create this critic in our heads, and sometimes it's inherited, right? that that's what we think pushes us forward, but it doesn't, right? We, we get to the finish line and then we're interested. We don't sort of like feel excited and joyful and, and vibrant in the process. So I encourage you to encourage yourselves, right? And, and to know that not feeling like an imposter will not make you somebody who just doesn't do anything to contribute to the mm. world. I think it actually will free you up to contribute more. Yeah, fully. I, yeah, absolutely. And something I want to just, uh, say so there's a there's a few questions around um, you know what what more we can we do in the workplace um, either for ourselves or for each other and one of the things that I've started doing recently I do a lot of training around at leading with empathy and allyship and one of the things I've started doing is asking people in those trainings what 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 an ally has done for them in the past that's been the most meaningful and. I was actually surprised at the, the most common answer is around confidence, building confidence. And I think it's all related to imposter syndrome, right? It's all related to this feeling that you don't, you know, that, that, that lack of confidence. And, um, you know, that can happen through mentorship programs, that can happen through, you know, more, more informal things as well. But um, really, I, over and over and over again, I've seen that trend of, Allies help give me confidence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Yeah. Andrew asks, is it similar to the fear of doing anything for the first time? Isn't asking a lot of questions of somebody, of everyone, a good way to find your allies? Yeah, I mean, I think it can be similar. I think imposter syndrome is a little bit more pervasive than doing something for the first time because often people have imposter syndrome even when they have a lot of experience. But I, I think where it touches on the fear of doing something for the first time is um, the challenge with allowing yourself to learn, right? When you do something for the first time, you inherently do not know how to do it perfectly, right? You may have read something about it, but you've never done it. And so when we can allow ourselves to learn, allow ourselves to make mistakes, allow ourselves to not know, then that makes that process easier. But sometimes imposter syndrome makes it hard to allow for not knowing because um, we feel that's evidence that we shouldn't be where we are. Um, I really like your idea of asking questions, right? And, and feeling out who's, who's 
willing to help, right? Who's willing to support, who's sharing their own struggles, right? And that is, that can be a really great way to find allies. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you all for your questions. Um, really appreciate that. And Dr. Dia, how could, where can people learn more about you and your work? Sure. So I have a website, www dradiagoodin.com. So it's just D-R and then my name, A-D-I-A-G-O-O-D-E-N.com. Um, I'm also on social media. So Instagram at Dr. Adia Gooden. Um, and then also on Facebook, you can Dr. Adia Gooden. So I'd love to stay in touch. If you're interested in learning more about the imposter syndrome, there is the course on Insight Timer, um, which is a 15 day course. It's about 10 minutes a day of recordings. Um, so I'd encourage you to check that out. You can go to the Insight Timer website and search overcoming imposter syndrome uh, and find the course that way, or you can search my name and find the course that way. But love for people to stay in touch. Um, you know, my contact information is on my website. So feel free to reach out by email as well. Awesome. And I, I will also uh, add a, we'll add links to all the things that you just mentioned um, in our follow-up here. So you can find it on our website. You can also find it on our YouTube channel when a video goes up and on podcast when that goes up next week. So I just want to, um, my last question to you all is a rhetorical question for you to think about uh, over the next few days is what are you going to do today, this week to help yourself mm -hmm and to help someone else to overcome imposter syndrome. So thank you all. I'm excited to be launching again the next phase of our allyship research um, and we could really use your help. Uh, so please take a moment to um, go to changecatalyst.co slash allyship survey and fill out the survey. We'd be really grateful for your time. Appreciate you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, thank you, Dr. Adia, so much for, for being here today and sharing your wisdom. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate all of your comments and your questions and so glad this was helpful. Yes, yes. We are launching a special research project today on allyship and we would love it if you could, you could each take a few minutes today or um, sometime this week to help us with our research. So the link to the survey is changecatalyst.co slash allyship survey. Super excited to launch this. We've been planning on this for a long time. Thank you for, for your time on that. I appreciate you all and appreciate your dedication to this and hope you will fill out the survey. And the next episode is Becoming a Skilled LGBTQ Advocate with Jeannie Gainsburg. Allyship is a journey. It requires self-exploration, learning, unlearning, healing, and taking consistent action. What step will you take today? Thank you everyone for tuning into our podcast. Join us each week for Leading with Empathy and Allyship, and I invite you to attend the live version too. Come be a part of the community and ask your questions about being an ally. Go to changecatalyst.co slash allyship series to RSVP. And also don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and the YouTube channel and share this with somebody who needs it. This show was created by Change Catalyst, where we build inclusive innovation through consulting, training, and events. A big thank you to my team behind the scenes who are helping me produce this show. Renzo Santos, the head of finance and logistics. Antonia Ford, diversity and inclusion specialist. Sally Moiwewa, project manager. Juliet Roy, producer. All right, thanks. See you next time.